Welcome, everyone, to Ascending the Spectrum. I'm your host, Jack, and we're joined with a full house. We got Mateo. Hey, guys. How's it going? Reinhardt. Oh, boy. <laughs> High energy. Yeah. <laughs> Magnus. Another wonderful podcast with the King of Copes. Uh, good to be here with you, boys. And for our guest, Achilles. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to have you. Hell yeah. And we got Sax. Hey there. Good to be here and happy hump day. Hell yeah. So, Mateo, you have a little current events for us. So, if you've noticed um, Trump doling out pardons left and right, uh, they've all been of... A certain tribe. Not that it is to be surprised if you follow Trump's presidency. It's uh, everything he's done has been for them, and it's been uh, wonderful for them. But <clears throat> so there was this guy, Jonathan Pollard, and if I remember correctly, he was a double agent spy who eventually got pardoned by Trump. So I logged on to Twitter and I saw this video from Heretz.com. Pollard and his wife Esther arrived in Israel in a private plane belonging to GOP megadonor Sheldon Adelson's Las Vegas Sands. Of we're course. <laughs> and we're, of course. We were, oh, we were greeted at the airport by PM Netanyahu, who presented ah. them their new Israeli ID cards. They immediately kissed the ground as well. <laughs> yes, I agree. Oh, <laughs> And it's really funny, um, before I stop with this, I'm trying to find this thing I shared earlier. Okay, yeah, okay, here it is. Then this is from the ADL. Oh, God. <clears throat> I quote, Long-standing stereotypes about Jewish power in business and the dual loyalty canard, the notion that Jews are more loyal to Israel to their, than to their home country, remain deeply entrenched and are especially widespread. Are you going to deny that that's the case? <laughs> are you just going to sling shit at the people that say that while pretending that it's not true? This I, is I, literally, this is fucking literally <laughs> gaslighting. Yeah. Well, it's, not even, it's not even gaslighting because it's not even that they're denying that it's the case. They're simply attacking the person for, for saying the quiet part out loud. Wait, right? are you I, gaslighting me? <laughs> well, at this point, it's beyond you gaslighting. gaslighting me? You don't even have to. There's no one else here. You don't even have to gaslight. It, it, you just have to point out <laughs> what's going on. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, th again, that's the point. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and just steal Mike's takes. Is is basically this whole show? That's basically my shtick. Is I just listen to TRS and then steal Mike's takes. Wait, uh, so okay. so we're talking about his, Star Trek? Uh, <laughs> no. Well, we can do that later. But no, no, the no, point, no. I, I'm gonna head out. It's, it's just. It's just <laughs> It's just um, we're we're stealing our own takes from like eight months ago. Yeah, uh, right. Exactly. It's it's a very yes. complicated ecosystem. It's like a cow. You know, they have like eight different stomachs. It just sort of just flows through the whole <laughs> the whole all right ecosystem. There's eight different podcasts, basically. Jesus Christ. Um. Yeah. So uh, the the point that I'm trying to make here is that it, it's these articles never flatly deny that that's the case. 
I don't know why, because it would just make, in some cases, it would just make more sense for them to just say, this just isn't the case. They're not more loyal. They never really deny it. They just point out that the people who are recognizing this pattern are bad people and that they should not be given a voice in the public square. That's what's the most infuriating. If they just lied, that'd be one thing. But it's it's not really a lie. It's more like you're like you can't say this out loud or else you're an evil person. Just go ahead and read that article again. Notice how they don't say that this is not true. They just simply say that people saying that this is the case is, like, bad and evil. Yep. What are you, some kind of anti-Semite there, Goy? Yeah, oh, what are you, oh. some kind of anti-Semite or something? Yes, yes, I am. I have another one from the ADL. I don't know if you've heard uh, about this thing called the Great Reset. Oh, boy, yeah. Oh, Never. Uh, well, well, well. ADL, December 29th. A new conspiracy theory formed earlier this year called the Great Reset, among other things. This theory creates dangerous opportunities for ordinary Americans to be drawn deeper into the world of conspiracies. <laughs> I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I f- absolutely hate the term conspiracy theorist because it just it, it's made by the glowies to make you look like you're fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. That's what it's always been about. Is always has been <laughs> you you control the truth you control the lie you control them the conspiracies and you control the conspiracy community give them the bones give them you know the the little shit that they can they can follow the candy the breadcrumbs whatever the hell you want to call it yeah conspiracy candy yeah right and you just control them bit by bit by bit by bit um, and just humiliate them because that's what it's always about <laughs> is inverting and humiliating. Just a humiliation ritual. Yeah, you know, um, we could probably talk about – I definitely would want to do a show like analyzing uh, humiliation rituals in more detail because it's, yes. it's like fascinating – there's a fascinating psychological thing that happens. Uh, not unlike some of the effects of being sodomized, I would say. Um <laughs> Oof. I mean, that, I mean, I'm sorry, Holy is that too fuck. far? I mean, <laughs> it's I psychological sodomizing. Yeah. Maybe we should save that for another show. But the point is, is that there are these, you get, you get sort of a, you get a broken <laughs> brain type. Take, dude. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, fine. I'm sorry, sorry. No, no that was good. I'll, I'll tune down the autism, we can move on. Oh, no, we, we've gotten far enough off the topic. So no, keep, we're, keep we're above the spectrum, dude. It's okay. <laughs> I got to I got to come back with some more actual prep on that. But um, but yeah, it's, it's actually really fascinating. Like that there are th- there are significant psychological effects of uh, of being uh, r- you know publicly humiliated, ritually humiliated, um, and they, it leads to a specific type of broken brain that's. Uh, that you see in a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. Um, uh, I used to call it the Apollo axis, where basically once you lose faith in uh, anything that you can't directly verify for yourself, uh, usually that that is the moon landing. I probably would replace it with the Holocaust at this point. But in any case, once you pass the Apollo axis, you lose the ability to have faith or trust in anything um, and if you're not careful, this can lead to a total disintegration of all of your uh, all of your knowledge, and uh, that can adversely affect your personality. It's a, um, it's a fitting name because the Apollo missions were fake and gay. 
Well, that's that's what I mean. Is like when when you stop believing in the moon landing, you presuppose a reality that is so fake and so gay that nothing that you think you know uh, can be relied upon. And therefore, that's... if nothing can be relied upon, then maybe everything's fake and gay. Maybe you're fake and gay. Ah, and you, well, you sort of descend into Dick Carson asked. That's funny uh, because Apollo is literally the Antichrist. Apollo is the son of the dragon. He is really? the ultimate enemy. Yes. Apollo is the Osiris. He is the Dionysus, the same being. He is the, the god of pestilence, of death, all of this, of rebirth, even. Um, well, no, that's very interesting. I definitely would want to do some comparative religion posting. I always assumed that Apollo was sort of a pre-Christ uh, analog figure. In the same uh, way that uh, Dionysus, uh, the Corn King... Um, uh, who is uh, else that I'm thinking of? The, the um, Horn King. Uh, no, he, Apollo is is the Horus figure. Apollo is Horus. He's the son of the the one who was uh, destroyed and was reborn. Interesting. So now we have this Apollo Horus figure uh, coming about to create this new society. I mean, Apollo is the beast. Apollo has to be the beast because he's just human enough to take huh. our birthright, to take dominion of the earth. The enemy, Satan, all this stuff, you know, he, he is not human, so he can't rule the earth. But his son can. The oh, one who is just human enough can. Birthright? I see what you did there, Reinhardt. <laughs> Thank you. Classic. Sorry, I've been getting, uh, dude, I've been doing autistic stuff again and again over this book, but... Uh, wh which book is that? Because I know I want to read this. Oh, it's called Birthright, actually. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh called okay, Birthright, interesting. Uh, by a guy named Timothy Alberino. Um, he's a man I've been following for years. Uh, he used to do films with a company called Genesis 6 Productions with Steve Quayle, um, who I know is very well-known, um... But he left there, and he's been writing this book for years. And to me, this book is probably the most important text to Christians in the last 20 years. To me, at least. Um, I'm just a schizo, schizo. I do this for fun. you know. <laughs> but to me, it's very important. Um, yeah, Ryan, I, you're just an irony, bro. Yeah. That's all. I'm just the yes man for, for Johnny. So. All right, um, so I'll just go ahead and put that down in the show notes so that uh, people can look that up and so that I can uh, later. And I'm just going to go ahead and talk this whole uh, this whole, whole discussion as a ritual sodomy. So. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. All right, uh, I'm sorry. I totally, totally threw you off on, on the Jonathan Pollard bit. Did you have anything else on, on that? Because I'm actually interested in it. Is Paul Singer involved in any way? Because we got, we got all the big right-wing jignat names up here. We got Sheldon Adelson. We got Donald Trump. <clears> we've got, uh, we've got uh, Netanyahu himself. We have Paul Singer anywhere in this mess? Uh, I, I, all I needed to read was that headline. I actually haven't delved too deep into this. I just know that, once again, the same people are doing the same things, and they just keep getting away with it, and there's nothing anybody can do or say that's going to make anything do anything because we've been humil gaslit by humiliation rituals but speaking of i was making a meme that entire time i'm going to put it in the skype chat <laughs> i mean at least you were being productive 
Oh, dude, I'm always making memes, man. You know how. But anyway, that's that's what I had. So sorry, I'm done. I don't see meme. <laughs> uh, well, I I'm, I'm I'm trying. Somebody filibuster. I can't keep talking. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so uh, so what is this you got here posted? Uh, Siege Wolf with um, these spirit pond stones. I can't read cursive. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, cracker runes, Harold Covington used to call them. Um, so the Spirit Pond Stone is a rune stone that was found in Titula Spirit Pond in Maine. Um, it was found in 1971 by a Walter J. Elliott, who was a carpenter born in Bath. Uh, the stone was found in Phippsburg, near Popham, which incidentally was the first English settlement in the United States, or what would become the United States anyway. And the estuary that it was found in was connected to Morse River. Um, anyway, uh, so the guy, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to check the ominously titled Runes and Racism article, but um, the... The guy, Walter Elliott, was an Indian hunter, or Indian relic hunter, in any case. And he was going through the waters, hoping to find some lost Indian artifacts or, you know, magic totems or doodads or something. I don't know. But he ended up finding this runestone. He sent it away to be studied, and the mainstream um, pretty much immediately dismissed it as a hoax without really looking into um because at this time there was what's called a viking barrier and previously the viking barrier had been in greenland but um after they discovered the lonzo Mado settlements up in newfoundland in canada uh the scholarly community was forced to concede that there was a viking barrier in the american continent but of course it doesn't go south of Canada. But um, in Maine, they found this, this spirit pond stone, which was immediately uh, condemned as a forgery. Uh, and, you know, that's what they do. But um, the stone, supposedly, depending on who you ask, there's two interpretations that I can dig up. And I still got to do a little more research because it's very difficult to find translations. And while I can read runes, I can't speak Old Norse. So, you know. That, uh, that only goes me so far in translation. But one translation has it that there was a doomed expedition that had a mix of Templars and Vikings, according to the translation. They were stranded, but supposedly they were looking for the Holy Grail. And um, supposedly this also ties into the Kensington runestone out in Kentucky, I believe it is. Um, I think that's Minnesota, isn't it? Uh, yes, yeah. it is. It is. It's the the hooked X runestone. Oh yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you like that. No, but that's continue. fine. Continue. Continue. I look okay. at a U-Haul that says it every day at work. That's the only reason I know that. <laughs> Damn. Wait, there's, there's there's a U-Haul with the hooked X in it. Uh, yeah. It actually says the uh, Meet the Vikings of Minnesota, the Kensington Runestone. Oh, fantastic. What about the Vikings of uh, Arizona? Uh, based U-Haul. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, continue, though. Yeah, um, okay. Please. 
So um, the other and less popular and drastically dissimilar uh, interpretation is that the sea god a year um, crashed their boat. You know, not really as flashy as the Holy Grail, but you know, um, so yeah, it was supposedly tied into the Kensington Runestone. I don't know as much about that one as I like to. My uh, my book that I ordered to do this podcast with has been long delayed in the mail. As a result, I do not have adequate research, but, you know, um, we're going to blame the Vades. Um, yeah, so that's what I have. And and uh, they when they determined it was fake, they said that it was forged in 1931, which I find interesting because I don't know if any of you lot are into anthropology. But in 1931, before the, the big bads happened in World War II, there was a push in the WASP community to um, pursue anthropology in the direction of Saxonism, which was our version of Nordicism. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if the stone is genuine or not. What I do know is that runes are difficult to fake. It is not knowledge that many people possess, and certainly not not Maine. You know, <laughs> I, I live in Maine, and I can tell you exactly how many people I've known that can run around forging rune stones. Uh, <laughs> they're they're all part of the TRS radio network. <laughs> oh, oh well, goddamn! I didn't even know I was in TRS radio network. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you know, they're they're all <laughs> always was. Welcome <laughs> to the club, pal. Yeah. All right. You're on this okay. podcast, aren't you? No. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. So, but so, so let me that... get this straight. So, so we have these, we have these tablets, these runes on some rocks that some guy found in the 70s. The established anthropologist, archaeologist community thinks they're fake. Other people think they might be real. Um, of course, we don't trust any of the establishment because you know they think the shroud of Turin is fake, and obviously that's real. But uh, so. Uh, just kidding. Well, but that's the, what I was going to lead to is that he said it was like it was forged. It was a forgery, which what's another thing that uh, I know, Reinhardt, we've talked about on the paranormies that they call the forge um, forgery and not like fake. What was it? Uh, oh, yeah. The uh, protocols of learned elders of Zion. Yeah. There are some things they say are real that are actually forgeries, too. So, you know, I mean, whoa. these people clearly cannot be trusted uh, to, we, to give us an accurate assessment of the historicity look, or man, lack thereof. I'm, I am very uncomfortable talking about this. I, uh, uh, I don't know. That's a step too far. Nope. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Are we alienating? Are we alienating our, our YouTube audience right now? By, yeah, by talking I'm, about? yep. I'm done. Okay. All, like, yeah. 38 people that we got so far. Yeah, right. <laughs> we were up to 38? That's amazing. Uh, last I checked on the uh, sure analytics, yeah. It, Is dude, that across both episodes or just one? Um, I'd have to look at it again. All right. Well, we can talk about that later, but that's pretty good anyway. Uh, yeah, so so we got these tablets. Uh, they got roots on them. Establishment says they're fake. Uh, pagans... Uh, and uh, European chauvinists think they're real. Uh, what is the racism angle? Just saying some Vikings came over here and, what, 
the 1400s or no i'm sorry the 1200s that's that's not racist is it uh, of course it is because i mean it's they, not any more racist than saying columbus came over in 1492 well they're deleting his holidays too right okay so look here's the thing okay let me just read let me just read this article here because this is really irritating when I see stuff like this. All right. So <laughs> it goes through and actually the article gives like a pretty decent rundown. And then and it's racism, racism, racism. So what exactly about this is racist? Unfortunately, the answer is pretty bleak. Racism and notions of white supremacy. At a time yeah. these runestones started surfacing, debates about ethnic origins and superiority of the races were still alive and well. These rune stones seem to prove that Vikings had settled in North America prior to Columbus, thus giving those of European descent an ancestral claim to the land they had colonized just a few hundred years prior. Yeah, no All shit. Right, so, so the racism, <laughs> according to this author, and who, who, who wrote this absolute drivel? Oh. Julia Penelope. That's a white woman, I guarantee you. Well, it's um, a woman, so yeah. No, I, I guarantee... The, Julia Penelope, I guarantee you that's a white woman. Um, so, and and the whole, like, tone of this article is like, uh, it's, okay. So, here's the thing. She's saying, all right, racists created these tablets to give themselves a justification for being on this land that, in her mind, belongs to the indigenous peoples, which, of course, are not actually indigenous, but we'll, we'll just leave it there, right? Basically... We created these tablets so that we could say, well, we were here first, Indians. But presumably, the Indians were here a lot earlier than 11 or 12 or 1300 or whenever they say these people came across, right? So what's the difference in gaining a few hundred years and legitimacy? Because in her mind, it's like if we were here prior to Columbus, we have a claim. But the minute Columbus came over, we don't have a claim. You see the inconsistency in her in her thinking here. This is this is the kind of yeah. thing. This is the thing about like when I read an article about Jews, they have all of these things sewn yeah. up. They're at least ideologically consistent in their thing. This is just a libtard aping like a Vice article about this, but she doesn't get the shot. Right. Furthermore, it is beyond belief that the savage natives of North America could have possibly constructed monuments like the Great Serpent Mound of Ohio or the incredible cliff dwellings of the ancestral Puebloans. So, of course, the white male archaeologists of the day claimed that they had been made by some prior white race who had been subsequently wiped out by the current savage tribes. Now, I don't know, Reinhardt, you can correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe the claim has been made. I've never heard that either the Great Serpent Mound or the Pueblos or any of those mounds in Central um, in Central America had been made by, like, white or, or you know, white admixture peoples. It was all um, Hyperboreans. Well, I mean, I've, those, heard, I've heard that, but I've never that heard that it was, like, Vikings in the 1100s made them. Um, uh, it's possible, but whoever made those mounds were worshiping the dragon they were worshiping the serpent um so right. to me colonizing that area like whether it was vikings in the 1100s or you know shitskins 300 years before whatever i don't care <laughs> at this point because they were they they are the enemy they are worshiping the enemy to me, yeah, at yeah. least. Well, I mean, you know, 
I think we can have a religious discussion, but I think the I think that um, that that's probably universal for most pagan religions, including European ones, is that the enemy seems to represent himself consistently in a number of ways. Right. Um, because you see certain memes repeating themselves among different pagan traditions, even those that had no contact with each other. Sun worship being probably the most uh, prevalent. Um, sun, now, in my mind, sun I worship. Can't tell. Are you are you telling me that Romanians are not are not the the greatest? Shh. Don't get me started on Romanians. I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, don't. She'll find you, dude. Oh God. I don't. I don't fucking care. She will dude. fed post us <laughs> off done. YouTube. <laughs> Who is this? Uh, well, well, I'll explain off air. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, all right. But so, no. But no. It, it, I. It, you're right. Um, at this point, so what do we say to Europeans and all of the Western men who? have built their nations off of this this ideology of the dragon the serpent um what do we say to them as far as nationalism goes well uh i mean i don't know this is a little bit off topic but i mean we can just jump into it so i mean i'm a christian right so uh mm -hmm. i believe that at the very best paganism is incorrect about you know, religion. Uh, right. But I don't think that that means that we're incompatible from a nationalist standpoint, because if you... So look, the state of the world is screwed up, right? And as a Christian, you believe that the state of the world is screwed up uh, because of certain factors. And as a pagan, you might have a, a disagreement on whether the world is always going to be screwed up or whether you can change it or whatever. The point is, is that while our enemy, the Antichrist, the Jews, hold power over this realm, um, there is very little chance of the kingdom of, of, uh, of heaven uh, being spread on, um, by, by the church effectively, right? I mean, because when you have, like, boomers giving $15,000 to synagogues every week, no, nobody's hearing the word, the church isn't growing in influence, nothing's happening. So for me... You know, I find it much more a, a much bigger priority to get rid of um, like the explicitly antichrist people first, mm -hmm. uh, and then we can you know work on our relationships with the pagans and maybe get them to convert over or, or something afterward. You know, because um, I know a lot of pagans, uh, I know a lot of Christians, and I know a lot of atheists that are in our thing, and I think the number one problem is is that it's really easy to you know, run to the religious disagreements first uh, and, and keep trying to fight those out. But the problem is, is that every time somebody does try and do that, um, it just results in more infighting uh, and uh, nothing constructive ever ends up happening. The so problem I do, is, is that we don't have Hitler church. Yeah, yes. well, I mean, uh, I have some things here. to talk about with like state state created rationally constructed religions i've got some pretty strong words to say about that but i would love um, to hear that i mean it, it, one thing before we do hear that um jack i know you had a, a question that you wanted to ask yes so sax you said that they came to america to search for the holy grail so does this at least semi-legitimize mormons when they say that jesus 
came to America way back when? I am inclined to say these two are not connected, but that's my own opinion. I haven't researched that that vector, but I, um, I think Mormonism calls its ideology from a different well. I mean, it oh. is a cult in a, in a certain sense. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with that. I think Mormonism has some beneficial traits to it, but at the end of the day, I also think that it is something that was orchestrated by Joseph Smith with help from some friends. But, um, yeah. Would you would you call those friends uh, above the earth or under the earth people? I do not know as I am qualified to make that statement. But what I do know is that he had some ties with Freemasonry, and many of their distinctive rituals are not indistinct. Oh. Um, oh, hand gestures course. are very similar. Some of the temple accoutrements are very similar. Yes, their uh, religious garb is also pretty There were also extensive uh, pedophilic um, – what are they called? Um, God uh, – <laughs> God, he's been accused. Ac- accusations. Good lord. Yeah, cre- credible accusations of <laughs> yes, uh, pedophilia, including modern day credible accusations of pedophilia. Yes. In so the, he was the, the original uh, Me yes. Too. <laughs> he was not the original Me Too. There were there. Uh, I, there were I think um, I think there's probably a lot of similarities between um, Mormonism and Islam as far as schismat- schismatism goes. Um, I'm not. I'd have to do some more research on Joe Smith as an individual. I have heard the Mormon angle before, but um, I, I've always thought of it as a sort of the result of this Me Too attitude of Protestantism, of, do, you know, like, do-yourself theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really the problem with Protestantism in general, is that there's no central authority calling people out when they start to go a little bit off the beaten path. And right. what happens well, is when you have nobody calling it out when you, someone takes a couple of steps away from the beaten path is that people just keep going and going and going. And there's really nobody to stand there and say, what are you doing? You're on the wrong track. And before you know it, you're building temples out in the middle of the desert and stuff. Well, so. and that's always the problem that I've had with Protestantism. I mean, I grew up in, my mom is, is Catholic. Her family is, is very deeply Catholic. Uh, my father is very deeply Assemblies of God, Protestant, whatever. Um, but my wife and I, we've gone through the whole like hipster, non-denominational bullshit. And there is no accountability whatsoever. Look, I, I hate the Pope. The Pope is <laughs> the man. The man is a general in the devil's army, to say the least. The man is oh, evil. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I hate that shit. I hate the the Orthodox Church because it's so beautiful, and yet they take that beauty and they just they use it for absolute evil. But then you well, get this the, is an the hipster. Take. I've not heard about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll just say real quick. Um, you get the hipster non-denominational church of like, oh well. You know, I I don't believe in in any authority except for God, and I can do whatever the fuck I want, basically. That's what it is. I see that every freaking week, except for, well, now COVID. I can't see shit. Um, But, 
But you can, you see that day after day of these new Christians that just say, I can do whatever I want, but then I ask forgiveness and I'm good, you know. Yeah, I'm or done. they just straight up deny that the things that they want to do are sins. Uh, I, I keep seeing a lot right. of that, um, the, the sort of the TikTok pastors. Sorry, That's not me. how this works. That's not how any of this works. Yeah, no, right. it's, it's definitely not. Achilles, um, Achilles, you you raised your hand. Uh, what do you have? Yeah, I just want to make a note on the point of all these new churches. Like, there's a huge push to have all these liberal female pastors, and not even like female ones necessarily. But I drive by all these Protestant churches, and you know, it used to be like gay pride flags, and that was it. But now they're holding up banners on the churches of like reject racism, yeah, race diversity, hard uh, thinking changes but god love doesn't like yeah i expect this crap out of episcopalians and anglicans uh because that's, been that's going the on church i grew time. up in and yeah they're very bad Oosh. i'm starting to see it on baptist and presbyterian churches now um methodist. it's getting really bad yeah methodist well methodist i i've always sort of put methodist sort of in the gay camp as well but <laughs> yeah it's um yeah i mean it's it's really bad like i grew up in the south and uh, there used to be a joke. It's like, you know, we have all kinds of denominations here in the South. We got Baptist churches. We got other churches that are going to hell. We got, you know, <laughs> kind of the thing, right? Um, so, we got Baptist churches. We have Methodists. Those Methodists are fucking dumb. Yeah. Universalists. Um, so, you know, um, it, it's it's really, I mean, obviously the Baptist churches, especially the, the Southern Baptist um Southern Baptist uh, leadership have, have been increasingly very pro-Zionist, but they were up until recently still pretty fire and brimstone about, you know, sexual immorality and things like that. And uh, yeah, now it's it's starting to go downhill with them, too. So it's getting pretty bad. The now it's, slope. It's, it's literally like that last that movie, The Last Exorcism, where they are all just they're all possessed. Yeah, definitely. That's what it feels like is all of these people are freaking possessed. Are we, um, are, just so that we don't like Christ post for two hours and leave somebody else, is everybody here, are we all on this, are we all taking the Christ pill, or what's the what's the divide here? I'm Catholic, so yeah. Maddie. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, of course, duh. Yeah. Catholic nation, Catholic I'm, nationalism, but also fuck the Pope. Yeah. There you go. Right. Well, he's yeah, just, the Pope is just like not a Catholic. It, we're just um, no. <laughs> the Pope is a Jesuit. He's a oh, Satanist. <laughs> he's a he's a he's a fucking demon crat. Like he's a demon crat. Demon rats. liberals. So I was I was um, reading um, I was reading uh, Paradisio by Dante, which is the third book in his series, The Inferno, uh, Purgatorio, and Paradisio. And let's see here if I can find. Uh, do, 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 do. Okay, so uh, Saint Peter tests Dante on faith, asking what it is and whether Dante has it, and so they have this conversation. Blah blah blah. Um, where is it? There's this bit where he's talking with Saint Peter, and uh, basically. Uh, oh, yes. St. Peter then denounces Pope Boniface VIII uh, in very strong terms and says in his eyes that the papal see stands empty. 
<laughs> so when I was reading that today, I was like, oh, that's perfect. So it's just like it's just been empty since <laughs> since, since 1400. <laughs> I mean, um, where's the lie? God. Yeah, no, like uh, if you guys haven't read um, if you guys haven't read Dante, it's amazing. It's great. I don't know how to read. It's incredibly. I know you're you're gruff, but uh, even just like read just read like the Wikipedia summary. Um, and again, it's like every line is incredibly based, uh, especially think, Inferno. Uh, that's the only horror novel that I like to read is, uh, I just read Dante's Inferno. It's wonderfully shivery. Um, cause all of the punishments in there, are like, you know, they're, they're sort of like, uh, they're apropos. Uh, divine. Yeah. They're, yeah. It's like, um, we call it dark irony, right? You know, yeah, there. there you go. Yeah. Uh, but he also, you know, you meant, he mentions like figures from, um, from like mythology or antiquity, uh, so you get like you get the Christian stuff, but you also get like interesting figures from mythology that Dante treats as actual people. You get oh, you uh, mythic figures from Greece and Rome. You get Roman emperors. You get Greek philosophers. Um, you get medieval stuff. So, so Nephilim. Uh, and here we go. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I don't know that there are. I don't think there are any Nephilim in Inferno, but I remember when they're traveling from the ninth circle to the tenth circle, um, they pass by some giants, uh, titans and giants that are imprisoned there. So I guess those are kind of if you if you interpret Nephilim and giants from Greek mythology as being one and the same, then I suppose yes, you could say that. Magnus, you don't have to repeat yourself. They are the same beings. Yeah. Um, I guess I shouldn't say giants. I should say titans, because uh, that's the same that's beings. Down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, shoot. Where, so, where, where even are we on all this? I feel I like we've just know. been Christ posting. I was gonna now. say, is is Achilles our actual guest? Yeah, Achilles, you gotta you gotta throw in some content here for us. Ah, uh, well, I know it was brought on to talk about some stones and ruins and stuff kind of like sax was mentioning earlier so we can go on that if we want yeah please. have you heard Dude, about this, um... <laughs> the racist the racist spirit puns have please. you uh, right. um, have you heard of this um this assertion that there's a specific type of copper from the great lakes region uh i've heard about that yeah, I can't remember what it is. It's like it's only found in North America, but there was some Phoenician copper that was found that was made with that stuff. No, that's the first time I'm hearing of this. It might be the other way around. It might be that you find some copper stuff that was made by Phoenicians. I can't remember, but the the whole idea is that basically, like the the ancient Phoenicians uh, had traveled and potentially colonized parts of North America uh, far, way back. Interesting. Uh, yeah, like I said, I've never heard of that before. Um, one thing Jack wanted me to bring up was uh, these stones that are in Hardwick, Massachusetts. They're on this road called Thresher's Road, and they're little rocks that are carved with numbers on them. Uh, they go through 1 through 32. Uh, nobody knows where they came from, what they are. They're not in any kind of distance they're not mile markers people thought maybe they were gravestone markers but they're too close to the road um i actually went there myself a while back 
And I only found a few of them. I talked to somebody who lived around the area and he said, you know, unfortunately people steal them, <laughs> which is real awesome. But yeah, nobody knows where these things came from. They think they might have some religious symbol because there's holes at the top of them that look like they could have candles placed in them. And we don't really know how old they are. They were first discovered in uh, 1730, I guess. Interesting. Did the, the, did the North American natives use candles? Well, they, I'm not sure about that, but they are numbered in just normal numerical numbers, 1 through 32. So you got to wonder how old they actually are. Huh. 32? Yeah, I mean, they've made some connection off of some Freemasonry stuff, but yeah, they say that about everything. I don't know. I took a couple pictures I can drop in the chat so you guys can see it, because if you look it up online, you're not going to find almost anything. I found it out of a book originally is how I found out about it is the uh, Weird New England series book. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that. No. Yeah, I remember you telling me about it. Well, let's get let's get a, uh, Achilles. What what's your take? What what do you think the real story is here? What you know? What's your narrative for for North American colonization? What do you think is the reason behind no, it? No, no. I just mean like what what do you think it actually historically happened? What is this of this is real? What of it is fake? You know, what can you attribute to which group? What, what do you think is, is valid? I honestly think, you know, there's a lot more than we're being told. Um, like, you know, there's all the theories that we've been around on this planet a lot longer than they say we have. And I think we've had ancient civilizations that were more advanced than us. And something might have happened where all that knowledge was lost. And we went through the cycles of... Uh, early man again, as they say, Cro-Magnon and whatnot. And, you know, these could be all prehistoric things around here, of ruins that have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It could be older than the Vikings. I don't know. I, I for one, don't trust science. <laughs> I'm very... Right, right. <laughs> well, I, I think there is something to all of this society that has been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years before Adamic man, the man that was created our mankind that was created from Adam. We are not the first, you know, we, we are the greatest. We are blessed with dominion over all this stuff, but you're not the first. Oh, that's an interesting take. Um, so that's kind of like some CI stuff, right? Where, uh, or explain that a little bit. So Adamic I feel like Man, that would, I feel like that would tie into like mud flood theory, right? Kind of, but there have been there have been so many cataclysms upon this earth. I mean, if you read Genesis one two, uh, there was a cataclysm before that that we were created into this world. This world was not created for us. We were created for this world as a Damic man. So there's something else going on. There's something else happening. 
So pretty much we... there was something here before us mm-hmm. that ended up being, I, I guess for a lack of a better term, a failed experiment, and then we were created to fit it perfectly here yes. on this uh, plane. So here's my take on this, right? Like, versions of the Bible will open up and say that God created this earth, and there are many like it, but this is the only one we should be concerned with. We shouldn't be concerned with the skies above or the waters below. And, you know, the, they say the Bible is the beginning of all of it, but, you know, maybe that's just the start of the history we're supposed to know. Like, there could have been another life before us here, and it was a reset. Kind See, of like I do think God wants to, to keep that from us. That is what I think is is part of the lie, is God doesn't want to keep us from that. We are meant to know who we were. And we were, we are, meant to live forever. We are meant to eat of the tree of life and the tree of the, the, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, Timothy Alberino actually talks about this. It's, were we meant to live forever? Yes. Were we meant to die? Yes. We were meant to... Live for so much more, but we lost ourselves? <laughs> Good job on the Switchfoot hosting. Based. <laughs> okay. Based. All right. All right. To be fair... It, I, uh, I, I would want to live forever on this I almost didn't believe that that was what I was hearing. I was like, are we on a right wood podcast and we're, we're doing Switchfoot now? This is incredibly awesome. Bro. <laughs> we're just being ironic, bro. No, no. Um, actually, I was, with, um, I was with my buddy Ben the other day, and uh, he started singing uh, some silly songs from VeggieTales. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Yeah, just like under his breath, and uh, so you know my like fourth grade crush. She ended up being Laura, Laura the Karen. Well, what? what? Whoa, 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 whoa! How have I? How have you not told me about this? Yes, I went to school with Laura the Karen. That's <laughs> crazy, dude. So, Kara's confirmed not fake and gay. All right. No. Uh, kind of. Mm. Or. What do you have against carrots? Just Laura. All right. Wait, did you do the hand test? Oh. Ooh. I tried, but now she's married to a UT football player, so. Oh, boy, sports ball. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, I feel like we've kind of gotten off off track here. Um, Yeah. How far? How long have we been going, Jack? About forty minutes. About yeah, about forty-five minutes. Um, Achilles, did you want to? I know you've mentioned a while back about uh, New England Stonehenge. You want? Uh, yeah. To talk about I've that. Never been there myself. I've been wanting to go for a while. It's in southern New Hampshire somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where, but I'm sure you can easily find it up because it's a pretty big tourist attraction. I think it's part of their state's. Um, you know, yep. park it's in, uh, thing. it's in Salem. Yeah, so this is like apparently one of the biggest, uh, I think, what do they refer to as like ancient megalithic structures in North America or something. Um, it's got all kinds of chambers, stone chambers in it. Um, there's ruins on the walls inside of the chambers, and there's even like a huge flat table 
that has um, carvings all around the edge, kind of like almost like they claim it was a sacrificial table where the blood would drip down or something. You know, there's all these theories you never honestly know, but uh, they say that could date back to the BC times easily, so. Yeah, I'm going to drop some pictures in the chat for everyone to see so everyone's got some uh, references. I'm going to elbow in on the New England Stonehenge. I've been there, and I've seen it. Um, uh, yeah, so it's it's part of a, of a, of a network of oddities in New England, um, but the, the Stonehenge itself is supposedly arranged in solstitial lines. The owners, uh, because this abuts somebody's property, have kept the paths where they carved out the trees clear, and you can see for great swaths of distance in these corridors of trees, and there are aqueducts that run water through these corridors in the woods. And they do lead to a centralized area where there is the altar, which they said is for the sacrifices and what have you. Um, and yeah, it's a tourist attraction, but it's pretty cool in that it's not very invasive. Uh, the touristy parts are in the, the uh, uh, entry building where they play a video on the screen and it, and it loops every 15 or 20 minutes or so or whatever. But um, once you get out there into the woods, you've pretty much left the own devices. Um, and I've looked around quite, quite carefully because I had heard that there were the burial chambers underneath. Of course, you, you can't go that deep. But there are some, um, some recessed areas, little tunnels that go under the ground that lead from one aqueduct-looking thing to another aqueduct-looking thing. But the, uh, the whole of it is arranged in a semicircle, uh, like a lot of the traditional henges over in Europe, just on a, on a micro scale. It's, it's like the pygmy of Stonehenge. That's what I've got on that, on now, uh, the uh, Stonehenge. Any kind of opinion a, on its validity? Um, I'm just looking here, and it seems like a lot of people are convinced that this is sort of a, a hoax or studio archaeological thing set up by the guy who owned it, uh, William Goodwin. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's a big hoax. I mean, I, I work with my hands for a living. I'm a carpenter. I don't really have the energy to move big ass rocks on my on my off time. <laughs> you know, like that's that's real ambitious for a hoax, I think. Um, now. And, and this this was part of my notes, and I'm, I'm just going to dive right into this before I forget again. But there are so many things in the New England area, and I guess in the Midwest too, but you know, whatever, they're, they're their own thing. But in New England, we have in Vermont, there's some Augham. In Massachusetts, there's several instances of runestones. In Maine, there's the Spirit Pond runestone. Um, there are uh, cairns. There are the henges. There are all these different things, and if there were one of these things, it would be a hoax. All of these things on their own are hoaxes, but when you have so many hoaxes, it starts to look more like a conspiracy. So, you know, like, what do you gain by faking all this? You don't, well, you don't really win anything. It's like the Jordan River Valley. I mean, that entire area has thousands and thousands of cairns Yeah. in the same fucking manner. 
the exact same manner. So at this point, what do you say? You know, what do you call these things? It's not a fucking hoax. It's just a pure coincidence, eh, Goy? <laughs> hey, I do gotta ask something real quick. <clears throat> so, uh, Sax, you sound super familiar. Did you do all those, like, uh, podcasts on connecting all the ancient religions together? Uh, well, I, mean, I I had a podcast for a while. I think it's still up. I did Lorecast, and I tried That's what it is. to, um, yeah, what... Yeah, sorry I didn't mean to jump in there. I just, I knew you sounded familiar. Oh. Yeah, no, okay. So that's, I guess that's still up then. Because I know I lost the first season because it turns out when you're doing Spreaker there, you only get five hours and they don't really make that clear when you start recording. Mm-hmm. So I deleted all my old, old stuff. <laughs> Well, I'm glad I heard them before you deleted them, because they were interesting as hell, man. I spent so many hours at work listening to those. Maybe I guess it was just five, like you said, but they were very fascinating, especially when you got into, like, the Finnish stuff. Just the Norwegian, or the Scandinavian stuff in general was extremely interesting, and I was just like, wow, I did not know any of this. Okay, cool. (laughs) Big puzzle. Uh, It is. It's a big puzzle, I think. And. And it's, uh, you know, I, I think uh, if, if nothing else, we can all agree that, you know, big gay science is big and gay in some regards. But just the whole wave of the finger and, oh, these are just ancient myths. They don't mean nothing. Carry on, blah, blah. Yeah, it's all just, uh, No, it. it <laughs> yeah. The yeah. more they call it a hoax, yeah, the more I believe in it. Well, uh, you know. It's difficult to tell. It's just difficult to tell. I mean, I feel like at one point in time, I, I have seen a lot of historical hoaxes. Right? I've seen a lot of stuff that's just clearly, you know, somebody was out to make a quick buck or make a name for themselves. And so I'm not discounting the possibility that one or even all uh, are. But on the other hand, I mean... I don't know how much is to be gained from stacking rocks together. Uh, and I also know that there's a lot to be gained from the other side to what, I mean, to uh, what was the term you used, Jack, to gaslight people into thinking that there's, you know, basically gaslight people into thinking that European heritage doesn't exist. I mean, they're, they're definitely trying to do that. They're trying to get oh, us yeah. to the point where white people just don't exist and have never existed ever. Well, they've been telling us that white people aren't real, that, that that we don't exist for a while now. Yeah. I wonder if, like, if the ultimate goal is, like, once the white genocide project has been completed, if there's – if they're, like, going to, like, pretend that white people never existed in the first place for all of the remaining browns, is if that's, like, in their – if that's on the agenda. Or whether they'll keep us around as like an ancient boogeyman to terrify their slave race. I'm not sure. Yeah. The only the only ones who would keep us around is the Chinese, and just to be slave no, no, labor. not 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 us actually. I mean, whether they would keep the myth of white people around. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, no, they, they would definitely keep us around, I, at least until it became uh, not so useful anymore. 
and yeah. the, and then they would just kind of shut it down. Well, you know, there's a lot of uh, quote unquote indigenous myths that prefigure with white people in them. There's a bunch of Amerindian mythologies that uh, have white gods or white settlers in them. Um, white I, giants. I can't speak, uh, yeah, the red-headed giants, and I can never remember their names because it's funny, or at least it sounds funny to me. Probably not to them, but the the Satiki or something like that. Not Kontiki, that was the raft. But uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I knew that was the case for Central and South American. Uh, Amerindians. I didn't know that that was the case for North American ones. Um, but yeah, I've, I've heard that before. Uh, the Atlantean Hyperborean um, theory of, uh, of settlement of the, the Americas. I'm pretty, pretty close to being on board with that. Um, it's, it, it's certainly a lot more fun to imagine than, than the, the straightforward, uh, you know, way big science puts it. I definitely like thinking about stuff like that. The well, memes are pretty good. These these people they they knew that these giants existed because they literally ate them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these True. people were freaking eaten by Nephilim. They were eaten by these giants uh, in in Northern America. Um, you know, actually, that was, that was actually that history me... that they were that they were propagating. That reminds me of another little interesting uh, tidbit on the East Coast. This is a little farther south. Uh, Jekyll Island off the coast of uh, North Carolina, I think it is. One of the Carolinas, I can't remember. Um, more commonly known as a place where the rich and famous used to go duck hunting, or quail hunting, I think. Um, and also the place where the Federal Reserve was uh, was put together in um, 1912. Um, but Jekyll Island is also known because it has a uh, some sort of Indian sacrificial burial ground on it, um, with uh, like an altar where they used to sacrifice live victims to something. Um, and nobody seems to know much about it because the public isn't allowed down to see the altar. Uh, I have seen some YouTube videos of people that claim to have basically bullied their way in to go and see it and the things that they saw, but I don't know if you've heard anything about that. Um, or is anyone familiar with that at all? But it, it is interesting. There's definitely there's definitely a myth about giants that eat people associated with that, too. Oh, yeah, and the Iroquois had, had legends about that. Yeah. As well, and they, oh God, literally every single Native American tribe had legends of giants who were cannibalistic, who ate them, who ruled them, everything in the book. Yeah, well, I think I, I remember uh, listening to a story like that of one tribe that was talking about uh, red-haired giants that lived in a cave, and uh, they had to basically set fire to the cave to kill them. It's amazing how all these cultures from across this um, this realm, if you will, um, yeah, like had that. no contact with each other at all, still somehow managed to come up with the same, if not similar, stories when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, it, it's it's all really interesting. Um, learning about this, I mean, this sort of like alternative ancient history. I'm not sure what the better word for it is, but uh, but uh, all these ideas about Atlantis, ancient giants, uh, the world before what we think of as written history. Um, you know, the the pre-Diluvian times. It all kind of reminds me. It feels a lot like. Uh, it feels a lot like reading the the Mars series by uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs. You know what I mean? It's, oh my God, you had to. Uh, I mean, I, that's not an insult. Uh, no, just, no, of course not. Um, but the man, the man knew what he was talking about. So did Tolkien. Okay, I fine. Mean, let's let's get into it. Let's do let's do some Burroughs posting because oh. I've been. I've been dying to find somebody on the right wing that asks that Edgar Rice Burroughs as much as oh, I do. Oh, dude, Edgar Rice Burroughs is my second favorite author behind Tolkien of all time. So please give me everything, everything you have. On all Burroughs. right. So the first thing. <laughs> uh, so okay. So anybody else here? Uh, yeah. Oh, should we go to break first, and we can we can do this bit later because I can definitely go about about ERB for forever. Yeah. Actually, uh, yeah. I was gonna say if it, if it's gonna be a long bit, uh, we actually just hit an hour. So if if y'all want to take a break. All can, right. Uh, yeah. Let's that. all go to the bedroom, get some dinner, and uh, be yep, back. I'll in, go what, hang uh, from the bedroom. Uh, I'm going to the Reinhardt. Bed. You're not allowed to hang yourself in the bedroom. <laughs> uh, not without me there, buddy. <laughs> what about what about me? Can I hang myself in the bathroom? Well, you know, three's a party. You Damn. Know? No, I'll I'll be right back. All right. Uh, can you ten minutes or five minutes? How long do we want to do this? Uh, however long it takes. But uh, yeah. So I think Reinhardt has a song. So um, yeah, we'll be right back. All right.
All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the second hour of Ascending the Spectrum. Um, we unfortunately had Sax and Mateo had to leave. Uh, Mateo had to do, I don't know, probably some gay shit. Sax had to do some white man shit. But um, so, Achilles, you got some for us? Yeah, so I, th- I wanted to uh, wanted to talk a little bit about this uh, this Antarctica stuff. Um, I've been pretty interested in it for a while, um, but you know, I'm not sure how much of the like hollow earth, you know, stairway uh, Satan's staircase stuff that I believe unironically, uh, but I know that there's a lot of freaky stuff. I think we talked about it a little bit last last time actually, and. Uh, so I'm wondering if I can get some of your guys' um, takes on, on what's actually down there. Well, I think uh, I think one of us mentioned AVP earlier, uh, Alien versus Predator, and <clears throat> I think that Antarctica at one point was temperate jungle, whatever whatever you think. It was definitely decent land. The people lived on, and I think that there were uh, temples, ziggurats. Um, uh, these these people worshipped some kind of being in this land. So I think I think Antarctica was definitely some kind of uh, I don't know uh, uh, New York centric. Oh God. It's it, yeah, like, it was uh, definitely a, a centrifugal world. It was a world in and of itself. You know, I'm a pretty big science fiction fan, and I see that trope a lot of like a temperate, uh, a temperate uh, jungle-like uh, polar region. Um, I think that that's. I'm pretty sure that that's the case in um, the Mars series. By Edgar Rice Burroughs. I know that um, Philip. Uh, no, who was it that did? Um, I can't remember the the one who did that. But there's a series about. Uh, there's like some major climate change on Earth, and ten thousand years later, the uh, the polar ice region is like a jungle. Um, I know that it's that way in AVP. So clearly, that that's a it's kind of an older, kind of an older meme. I'm curious how much of that is historically true. I know that there's supposedly some pyramidal type structures down there. I've seen pictures, but not sure, you know, whether those have been altered or, or whether that's actually what they are, whether they're mountains or, or what. But it's definitely interesting. Um, the, the, the biggest, the biggest um, thing that sets me off is the fact that you're not allowed to go down there unless you're, you know, explicitly on a mission from Globo Homo. So, um, clearly, whatever is down there, they don't want us to know about it. Won't it cost over $250 million to go down there? Right, which is, I mean, but even if even if you have that money, you still have to be approved by all, what is it, 15 signatories of the, the treaty? You have, and anyone no, can shut not, you down for... No, not 15, 56. Oh, wow. Uh, maybe and, I can't remember. And, and There's a smaller number of people of that can have, deny you. Like, yeah, anyone can deny you for any purpose. I know that. And you um, don't get your freaking money back. 
Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, if you have $250 million, what just stops you from, like, buying and outfitting an icebreaker and just steaming down there at that point? Cthulhu. I mean, they, I mean <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe they just, like, send assassins after you or they, they have, like, shoot you down. the UN army down there or something. Oh, so, yeah, so it's basically just, like, what, it's just, like, an army of Central Africans just hanging out in the South Pole? I mean, they are in Minnesota, too, so... <laughs> they, they just armed a bunch of penguins. I think those are West Africans. <laughs> imagine, so. imagine hitting the coast of Antarctica, and you just see a shitload of, like, actual gorillas. Like, aqua gorillas. Well, I mean, who, who knows? Like, maybe the Hyperborea meme is real, and, you know, once you get past um, a certain parallel, like, the ice just sort of goes away and, and it gets warmer and warmer all of a sudden. I mean, uh, definitely. Well, I said this on David that Weiss weird episode hole, of Paranormal. That weird, ozone, I, that weird ozone break uh, over Antarctica has always fascinated me. I've always wondered why that is. Uh, well, and I probably sound really low IQ to any, any climatologists out there, but, uh, I, you know, maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe, you know, because just grug brain thinking out loud here. Maybe because there's no ozone there uh sun comes down and it's warmer i mean i asked david weiss himself this uh, like what if <laughs> god what if the the arctic antarctic entrances to the hollow earth are not even entrances to the hollow earth what if they are entrances to the other tide pools what if yggdrasil of the norse mythology is actually real what, did he what say? if that's how our our universe works? What did he say? I'm curious. No, he said it's totally possible. Mm. It's entirely possible. If our world is, you know, surrounded by an ice wall, then yes, the tide pool theory, the Yggdrasil theory is totally true. It's possible, at least. Now what's I've I've heard about the ice wall. Uh, what is this tide pool theory? To me, the the tide pool theory is just that we have an ice wall surrounding us as a flat, you know, layer cake earth, but then we have other things outside. Of oh, this so there ice. might be other islands of temperate non ice, uh, so other worlds across exactly. the ice wall from us. Yes, yes. I'm dropping and something in the chat for, like, a reference. Interesting. Very interesting. And, uh, and these, these What might these other worlds look like, I wonder? I mean, these these other worlds... Um, <laughs> so, all right, so I'm 25. I played the Elder Scrolls theory. I, I subscribed to that. I played the Elder Scrolls games when I was 13. I started with uh, Morrowind, Oblivion, all those games. Oblivion has a certain theory that the planets that you see are other realms. There are other realms, not planets, that there is nothing outside of what you see. It's all in a dome. Interesting. And oh, I saw so that like when you're I was the, 13. On the inside of a sphere, and you're looking up at other spheres. 
Exactly. Spread other realms across the inside circumference of the sphere. Exactly. That I I looked at that at like 13, 14 years old and was like, fuck yeah. That is exactly how it has to be. I mean, it's more believable than what we're given by science nowadays. Right? And you put that in chat, too. It's like, <laughs> dude, come on. Yeah, yeah, Achilles, he said it best. Spooky shit. That's absolutely right. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, like, our planet spins at this this speed. Uh, our soul's... Our soul si- yeah, solar system, God, I can't talk. Solar system is traveling at another speed, and the galaxy is traveling at this speed. Universe is traveling at this speed. Uh, everything is at a different speed somehow, even though we managed to come from the Big Bang, supposedly. And, and yet we're all going at different speeds. The entire time, horizontally. I tell yeah. you what I do, though. I tell you what I do is. Uh, you have to just set up a power station on the walls of uh, one of these ice, major ice flows. And you have a, one side faces the temperate region and one side faces the polar region. And you generate basically unlimited power from the temperature differential. Sounds hot. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like we're we're going at all these different speeds compared to like other galaxies and stuff like that, and yet somehow all the constellations for thousands of years are always in the same spot at the same time, same time of night, all the time. Even though we're all going at different speeds, traveling and throughout the universe. Have even told us that the planets, supposed planets of Mercury and Venus, uh, they at one point could have held. A certain temperature that, or a, a a firmament at a certain temperature that would have given them <laughs> the prospect of creating life. Oh yeah, and then did didn't um. Well, was it? you know, it's funny. Pollution or some shit ruined that. What what was what, what was the show on that? I forget. Well, it was uh, I think yeah. it was. I know from climate science, change. Yeah. yeah well, I know that Mercury and Venus, um, back in the day, it was theorized, much like Mars, that they held uh, or could potentially hold uh, you know, extraterrestrial life. Um, and this was sort of removed once we passed a satellite. I think it was back in the 70s that we shot a satellite uh, nearby enough, and they decided that the um, atmospheric pressure and temperature uh, for Venus and Mercury, respectively, uh, were uh, too high, um, and therefore they couldn't support life. But I can remember reading Robert Heinlein's stories of uh, a swamp-like, high, high humidity, high pressure Venus, and the the types of creatures that lived on Venus as opposed to the the creatures that were on Mars or uh, under the the seas of Titan. It's pretty interesting stuff, like the old science fiction. You wonder how much of that stuff was actually true or plausible, and how much they you know they sort of denied over time right yeah but uh modern science fiction is incredibly gay uh i'm sure old science fiction is probably gay too but it's a lot less gay uh it's much more enjoyable um we were talking about i think we were talking about um edgar rice burroughs's uh mars series and how much it feels whenever whenever i read legends about atlantis or things like that how much it feels like um how much it feels like uh, the Princess of Mars. 
And uh, I just want to go ahead and point out that ERB is incredibly based. Uh, he wrote a story about a white southern gentleman being transported to Mars, and all Thank this you. guy does is kick ass up and down the red planet uh, for, like, what is it, six or seven novels. And that's um, that's the Barsoom series. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this man, he also wrote about the, the Venus, a hero on Venus, for years. Um, oh, I have not read those. Uh, yes, it was it was Carson Napier of Venus, and this man, along with J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, all three of these authors were incredibly based and saw the world for what it was. Yeah, C.S. Lewis in uh, I mean, I love Tolkien, but uh, every time I I mean, first of all, the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't see how you can be a white nationalist and not love the Chronicles of Narnia. It's it's awesome. Or uh, or Lord of the Rings. Or Both Lord of the of Rings. These. Lord of the Rings is quite good as well. But Chronicles um, of Narnia, I agree 100% with you. I mean, the horse and his boy is is just peak comfy posting. Like if you just like curl up with that on a rainy day, it's like it's perfect. Oh, dude, Magician's Nephew even is I amazing. Don't know. I mean, Magician's Nephew is great, but it's also it's a little it's a little spookier. Uh, as far as Narnia books go, um, it is that in the silver chair is like very, very disturbing. Uh, the last battle is quite disturbing as well. Um, unless you've, you know, unless you've read all the way through the series, you kind of have faith that things are going to turn out all right. But, um, yeah, the magician's nephew is quite, uh, it's quite a wild ride of emotions. It's mm-hmm. Jack, have you read any, any Lewis? I don't know how to read. Oh, come on, man. you got you got to read the Chronicles of Narnia, dude. It's so good. No, I've I've actually never read it. See, this is going to be this is going to be our thing. Like 6 months later, people are going to be complaining that uh Sending the Spectrum only like talks about CS Lewis. Uh it's like CS Lewis and Hollow Earth instead of Star dude. Trek and uh Holocaust Denial. Dude, what's Edgar wrong with Rice that? Burrows, though. Dude, okay, so can, can we point out the fact that for for example, Edgar Rice Burroughs does uh, he does racialisms in his book. Uh, I mean, I know he wrote it in like the nineteen what was it nineteen teens he was writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fairly par for the course. But it's it's really quite refreshing to go back and uh, and able to re- like read a science fiction story where like there's not like this sort of low key thing about how well all the you know, we may be different species, but we're really all the same underneath. Like, I think that really started with Star Trek when they, they started with the, we're all basically the same as sentience. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's really refreshing to have, like, some character walk in into a scene and, and start, like, screaming about, like, those savage brown men of Mars. And it's just quite, it's quite fun. <laughs> Dude, based? Yeah, um... Although actually the sort of the, the the savage warlike people are the green the green Martians, um, and if I recall the um, there is a, a group of Martians that re- that live underneath the earth and uh, lure Martians who are basically immortal uh, up this uh, river to their death and eventual up death by river. cannibalism. Yes, the river is. Yeah, the river is. Yes, that's right. Where no Martian, no red man has ever returned. Yes. Yeah. Had a, a major crush on Dejah Thoris as a young teenager. I remember oh. that. Mm. Uh, yeah. 
and the, what's nice, the what's... Disney film pissed me off. I, oh, that was, well, that was one I thing mean, of course, it was. my wife. It, the only was way, the only way Disney bad. was going to ever do, the only way Disney was ever going to do a decent run of that, is if they um, unfreeze Walt. Well, if they had done like a hand drawn, like animated version of um, of uh, of Barsoom. You know what I mean? Like, if they had done it in the style of the Atlantis movie, mm-hmm. then it would have been really good. Right. Also, have you seen Actually, the Disney Achilles, Atlantis movie? How Achilles, do you feel about did, that? What do you have to say about this? I was just going to bring up the fact that, like, science fiction is largely anti-Christian and very atheist. They claim that, you know, space exists, so you know, God doesn't. It's always the premise of human exploration well wait, wait, wait. Is, is the is the converse is the con is the converse true because if yes. it is we we might have some interesting <laughs> yes well i thought there was this interesting premise in um stargate universe where the whole premise of the series was them trying to find god at the end of the universe they never finished that show, which pissed me off. It was like the biggest cliffhanger ever. But they got a signal of some noise that came from the end of the universe. And the ship they were on was some prehistory ship that was built by an advanced civilization. It was just set on course to head in that direction. And they just kind of cut the show loose. And I was like, wow, that's like one of the only science fiction shows I've ever seen that like has a Christian premise to it. Well, that's why it was shut down. Well, you know, shut it down. Oh God! The you know what's funny is is when you go back and you read early science fiction, you know, stuff that was written in the nineteen teens, twenties, thirties, and sometimes even into the forties. But even then, like you started to get like Isaac Asimov's started even something like Stranger in a Strange Land. Yeah, see, and I think that was actually written in the sixties. Heinlein, of course, Heinlein is all over the place. Like, one minute he's bass, the next minute he's incredibly cringe. Uh, right. But, Dude. <laughs> oh, my like, God. Like, there's no middle ground for him. He's either, like, incredibly based or he's incredibly cringe. There's no in-between with Heinlein. Oh, thank <laughs> Christ I am not the only one Dude, who believes in that. I, read ev- I have literally read every word that Heinlein has ever put t- to paper. Uh that he, where I should say that has ever been published. Uh, I'm sure there's some letters and stuff I haven't seen, but I was a huge, huge Heinlein fan ever since reading uh, "Have Spacesuit Will Travel" when I was 12, and I've devoured his works. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a little embarrassing going back and rereading some of the stuff that I thought was really cool and edgy as a teenager because I'm like, oof, this is like, wow, oh, ugh. <laughs> no, Bob, what are you back doing? Here, like, oh, you're oh. literally the Pepe with the cigarette saying, like, oh, this is cringe. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> incredibly bad. Uh, some of his stuff is just very... I think at some point, like, he must have just... His mind started going, and his editors just didn't care anymore. They just slapped his name on it and published whatever he sent them. That's fair. Um, but still, like, wow. It's, yeah. Um, his, his, like... I don't know what it is with science fiction authors, but like him and uh, who was it that wrote the Ringworld series? Is that Niven, Larry Niven? Um, I think yes. it is. Yeah. So like, I don't know what it is, but it's like the coom brain gets a hold of these science fiction authors and doesn't let them go. 
and they just they come out with these incredibly retarded okay so here here's what i want to do have you read ring world at all the first two books okay all right that's that's perfectly sufficient because like there's no reason to read after that um so let, <laughs> right. let's let's go ahead and contrast like larry niven's ring world with erb's uh erb's uh Barsoom series, then we Jack can move us on to some something our listeners will actually care about. So, in Barsoom, you have an explicitly white, explicitly male, explicitly Christian, uh, explicitly Confederate, uh, right, um, who is immortal uh, for reasons that we don't know and that the author doesn't care to explain to us. He's just moving us right along with the premise. He ends up fighting some red engines in Nevada or Utah or someplace like that. And he gets driven into a cave and he's miraculously transmorgified into Mars without any clothes um, for, for no reason. Again, astrally projected. Care. Yeah, astrally project. No, that's right. It was astral, astral projection because his body's still in the cave. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, he you know literally un like literally naked with nothing he uh completely he just continues to kick ass up and down the red planet uh he saves the beautiful princess he gets married he has uh i think two children with her which mm-hmm. okay cringe but you know again um there's limited resources on mars so i can understand <laughs> you know um and he goes on all these adventures and uh, everywhere he goes, he encounters different types of Martians. So the red Martians, which are basically the white people of Mars. Um, you have the green Martians, which are, you know, well, you know, uh, they're, they're incredibly warlike and barbaric, but some of them can be noble. Um, there are the white Martians, which are the you-know-whos, because they live underground and, uh, and feed off the flesh of uh, the red Martians. So that's clearly who those people are. Um, and then there's, I think there's several, I know there's black Martians and I think a couple of other different races. But everywhere he goes, he encounters all these different people, and generally they're hostile to the Red Martians. Um, some of them are, are somewhat somewhat nice, some of them aren't. Um, and I, what I remember from my read-through is just this overwhelming sense of uh, John Carter, the main character, being a guy who fights for justice and civilization wherever he goes, whether it's in the middle of the... Um, in the middle of a of a hostile Martian desert, whether it's underground, whether it's in a, a red Martian city, he's just he's a nobleman, right? A nobleman. Uh, what what is it? Right. A, 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 an aristocrat of the soul, right? That's who he is, right? Co- contrast that to the main character of Larry Niven's uh, books, where you have Louis Wu, like this this multiracial mishmash person, uh, who's a complete and utter degenerate of every form. Um, and he gets shanghaied by the puppeteers to this ring world, which, again, much like Mars, has a bunch of different races, different hominy races on it. Um, but when he gets there, what's the first thing that he does? He's, he starts sleeping with, like, every <laughs> every race that he comes across. It's incredibly degenerate. Um, and it, there's nothing redeeming about the story whatsoever. He's going to return to tradition later. No, he's, but I mean, but what is there with ERB's writing? It's it's literally the entire time this man, whether it be Tarzan or John Carter, is trying to find his way back to the woman he loves. Yeah, exactly. It's right? it's wholesome romance, and <laughs> oh my god, 
it it's always wholesome romance. That's what it is. And you know the other thing is uh, is um, you have uh, in this older science fiction you have this idea of like the person is being transported to this other world because that's their destiny, right? Or, or they're be, they're going on this adventure because that's their purpose, right? Or that's it's like the Iskai anime. Yeah, um, the, exactly. The Western version. Exactly. Well, I mean, these Isekai anime they're they're influenced by Western works of science fiction, right? Um, and and fantasy in particular, um, which is why the Japanese person is always like Isekai'd into like a medieval European city or something. Um, right. That I'm convinced all Japanese want to live in like like an alternate universe, Switzerland. That's just because that's where they put themselves every time. Um, but then again, doesn't everybody? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but with like modern science fiction, it's always like, well, you know, they either stumble into it by accident or they're shanghaied along or they have to do something. You know, the, the adventure is never – they're never completing the hero's journey. They're never going towards their destiny. They're always being dragged along by the whim of fate or by circumstances beyond their control. Just the subtext in these stories is very, very disappointing. Mm-hmm. No, you're right, and and they always end up with these these romances that are well. Yeah, they're not really they're romance, are they? No. I mean, that's, there's there's sorry, sex, but there's no, there is no romance. You know what I mean? Like, no, n- nothing about it. I mean, because like. I mean, first of all, you know, romance to just simply describe like any like erotic relationship uh, is not really a good term. I, I hate using it that way because when I say romance, I like picture like sword fighting on a staircase. You know what I mean? That's the kind. Of, that's what I mean by mm-hmm. romance. You know, the the Errol Flynn like yeah take, exactly. taking the woman back. Yeah, the the, the, the prisoner's end right? Like you know, yes. a man fighting against all odds for the woman that he loves or for the country that he loves, and usually those two things are bound up together, right? The 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 erotic attraction is a microcosm of the greater battle that he's fighting for patriotism or for survival or for civilization or for whatever it is, right? Uh, and you just don't see that anymore. But with um, with Edgar Rice Burroughs and um, another one that's interesting is uh, if you go back and read the Lensman series by E.E. E. Doc Smith, that's also a good one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually that one has some pretty interesting things to say about Atlantis as well. Also, there was um, – oh, what is his name? Who wrote Conan? God. Oh, um, uh, Conan – Call of Atlantis. Uh, the man who gave birth to Kevin Sorbo. Damn it. Um, I can hear Jack typing. Uh, Robert, <laughs> Robert E. Howard. That's who it is. Yes. Robert E. Howard. That's it. The man. Uh, that. That was the man. He he gave birth to all of that with Conan, with Cole. Conan was a man who rejected the idea of 
you know, the the whore, the um, nurse, I guess, as we would see them, the the TikTok nurse, but also gave in. Say that again. Uh, Conan was the man who who rejected the TikTok nurse idea, but gave in as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have not actually read too much Conan. I should probably do so. I know that it's quite popular. He, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert E. Howard is, besides, so for me, it goes Tolkien, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Robert E. Howard. I mean, it, all three of these authors understood how the world worked in the pre-flood era. I've read and a Howard, lot of Solomon Cain stories. Those were those are yes. good, but I've never read any Conan. Oh man, Howard Howard was an incredible man, and then he went and fucking shot himself. <laughs> you know, he found out his mom had cancer, and he fucking shot himself in his car. Um, the man wow, had really had some weird yeah man had some weird shit going on. Um, very strange stuff. Uh, but his Solomon Kane stories were incredible. That's a really Solomon Kane, Conan, Call of Atlantis. Call of Atlantis was amazing. And actually, that's what got me involved in uh, uh, Kevin Sorbo. That's why he was so fucking popular. Is this guy, he did Call of Atlantis, the film. He did uh, Hercules the series, and God, it was so fucking awesome. He, to me at least, he was so fucking cool. So did you guys? Uh, okay, well here you go. So I just pulled up his. To... Oh, go ahead, Magnus. I just I just pulled up his Wikipedia article, and uh, I've got uh, character sketch attitudes, how its attitudes towards race and racism are debated. Howard <laughs> often used race as shorthand for physical characteristics and motivation, and he would employ some racial stereotypes, possibly for the sake of simplification. He was also of the belief, no matter who won the subsequent conflicts, it would only ever be a temporary victory. And in Wings of Night, Howard writes that the ancient empires fall, the dark-skinned peoples fade, and even the demons of antiquity gasp their last. But over all stands the Aryan barbarian, white-skinned, cold-eyed, dominant, the supreme fighting man of the earth. Base. Incredibly lie. Well, I, I, I see uh, no lie detected. Uh... <laughs> Dude, have you, have you guys seen him on Twitter? Like, just Kevin Sobro, period. This the man when not allowed to have a Twitter. This man is based as shit. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. No, I definitely have to read some more uh, of uh, Robert E. Howard. So, um, that's pretty funny. Um, I like again, like these older authors. They they come from an era where being based wasn't something they were persecuted for. It was just how people were. So if you go back to a person, you know, born in 1890, 1900, 1910, 1920, they're just going to have these attitudes uh, by virtue of 
that being what they grew up with. So another one being H.P. Lovecraft, you know, the meme, is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, his cat is uh, named after the gamer word. But, um, you know, that, that's just like what people that's just what people did. It wasn't seen as something unusual, but it's still pretty fun uh, to go back and sort of revel in, in these people that hadn't had their history and culture completely ripped from them. Then is it worth the risk to time travel back in time and possibly turn gay just so you can, you know, embed yourself in this, uh, this um, wonderful society that we once had? Well, I mean, according to according to Robert Heinlein, as long as you travel back to the future, the gayness doesn't um, doesn't take root. So as long as you're as long as the net time travel is zero or positive, you're OK. Um, and you have to go 88 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, Jack, mm-hmm. I keep telling you, you need to read the, the cat who walks through walls. Cause that is an incredibly based timeline book. Um, and it's awesome. And you love it. See, you got, you got to make me an audiobook, bro. Dude, it is an audiobook. Well, send me the link fam. All right. I will. Nice. Have you, uh, have you read that? Um, uh, Reinhard, uh, the ca- uh, not the cat who walks through walls. I'm sorry, the door into summer. Yes, I love that book so much. Oh my god, um, it's great. Uh, so, so do we have anything more? I know, I yeah, know we're, we're just, gone we're way just off from Antarctic fiction. Yeah, right no, now. I was gonna say like we. I feel we're like on we're some leaving good... you good behind in the dust. Eh, I actually it's... have to hop off. I gotta get going. All right. All right. Well, hopefully you can come back on. Uh, same thing as Sax. Uh, come back on whenever you want, man. More than welcome. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good night, bro. Take care. But um, so it seemed like we were on something with Antarctica, and then we just kind of yeah. Got let's 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 go lot. back and revisit Antarctica. Um. So, I, I, again, I don't know too much about it. Uh, I did watch The Thing by uh, – uh, I did watch The Thing several times. Uh, and by now I'm convinced that at least part of that movie is true because uh, John Carpenter also did They Live. And uh, we all know that They Live is basically a nonfiction mm-hmm. movie. So clearly The Thing must also be uh, true as well. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, you know – is there something down there? Uh, are there, you know, ancient temples and stuff? Or, um, I mean, what could it be? Well, there is definitely something down there. And to quote my boss, Johnny Monoxide, uh, the Earth is a layered cake Earth. It is hollow and also flat, but not in the sense that it's it's flat. I mean, like, there's mountains and shit, but, you know, flat, right. it, not a sphere. Interesting. And how far does it go? I mean, if you could pass over the ice walls and continue, is it infinite? Is it finite? Um, I think that kind of goes, if memory serves me right, uh, it kind of goes into the whole um, crater theory that the... the infograph sort of thing that I posted in the chat earlier kind of goes into that. No, it's more of the, uh, the layered cake theory and tide pool 
theory. Yeah, that's what, I, we're all, that's what I was saying. We're all, we're all in tide pools, essentially. Um, so let's say you had some sort of craft that could traverse across the top of the ice wall, right, without dipping <laughs> into any of the tide pools. If you went in one direction, would there be just like an infinitely tall ice wall you couldn't get past, or...? Yeah, it's possible, but I I don't know. I, I mean, really because don't. I'm, you know, it's funny. They say that the universe is infinite, uh, and I suppose that that's possible. Uh, and the illustration that I saw when I was in school was like the universe is is actually like the skin of a giant balloon, you know, and all <laughs> of this space is continuously expanding, but there is no end to it. So if you were to just travel and one direction long enough you would come around the other side like pac-man physics uh but um i've always been i've always wondered just how true that could possibly be um i suppose it's possible that it could be infinite uh but the you know when i read like medieval sources for cosmology they don't seem to think that it's possible that things are infinite in fact they seem to think that this world is pretty damn small and there's basically like an impenetrable barrier over the top of it like uh like a like one of those things that you put over cakes you know um and you just can't get past the the crystal sphere and then literally above that is god or heaven or or something uh physically in the same universe as ours i always thought that was a very interesting way of thinking about it uh, so where do you stand on it uh jack what do you think is yeah, How I was um, I was about to say, like? yeah, I I believe more in the um, layered cake earth slash uh, tide pool theory. I in the chat if, um for after the show, uh, it's a John Levy uh video for um, what was it? Uh, do we live in a crater? I believe it's called. Mm. That that will pretty much explain a lot, and it will make a lot of sense when you watch. I think it's like twenty minutes long. Interesting. Uh, is Reinhardt still alive? I think he's on mute. Oosh. But um, but yeah, no, like that. I refuse to believe in what modern science is trying to tell us that you know, like everything's traveling at different different speeds and whatnot through this um infinite vacuum of space and um yet right. somehow remains everything in the same spot in the night sky it, weird huh right sorry i i had to handle my son no you're good dude um but you're right <laughs> so we're supposed to believe that this universe this galaxy is spinning at this fucking uh speed and going at this fucking distance at you know this horizontal speed and it's going at this blah 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 whatever i mean god watch david weiss like our our galaxy is just going at a certain okay Sorry, I'm drunk and I can't even say this. Reinhardt, I'm going to get you on a tangent. 
What's your opinion about stars? What are they? Man, why? Why? I, I had to do, do it. You have to. Do you have to? to? Okay, fine. Stars are angels. And angels aren't even oh, angels. Oh, so the C.S. Lewis was just literally and unironically correct in Voyage of the Dawn Dreader. Yes. Angelic beings are... Okay, stars are angelic beings, which are beings in and of themselves. Angel means messenger. It's Malachim. It's a job title. These these beings are beings. So, stars are not suns. Stars are people. <laughs> now, did you want to, for, for the listeners who don't really know, and totally not because I'm not privy to all this, I, I, I swear to God, can you differentiate between, uh, like, angels and angelic beings and in, in, like, kind of like the hierarchy of, of all of it, I guess? Oh, God, dude. TLDR it if you have to. Jack. Uh, um, oh, man. We're going down the rabbit hole, man. That. I would tell people, go look at Michael Heiser. Dr. Michael Heiser. He is the expert on all of this. He has written the book, literally three books on the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. Um, I own all of his books. That man is who you want to find if if you want to know about angels. So, well, if if you had to TLDR it though, uh, all right, angels are not angels. <laughs> angels are messengers. Angel means Malak, messenger. They are not who you think they are. And that's it. And they that don't look it. like humans, if I no. remember correctly. They don't look like humans. They don't look like fucking, uh, like, lizards. No. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. No. But. Yeah, that's like, that's like old English for... Quit, don't freak out. Like, stop screaming. I know I'm freaking you <laughs> out, stop, but please, please don't stop freak out. <laughs> right. But you they need to don't stop screaming like so that I can give you this message from the Lord. Like, please stop. <laughs> right. Well, they can clearly disguise themselves as humans because there are points in time yes. where they appear as humanoid. People talk to them, and then they sort of take their robes off, and something definitely not human shows up. And people right. are very freaked out by it right but they aren't they aren't fully human right right they, they only appear so as opposed to christ who was himself actually human human and and the christ right well that's that's yeah. the biggest thing is with christ is he was fully human and fully god right he, right and I mean, that's sort that's, of the, the pre and post crucifixion um, you can see that difference where he is not bound by the same rules that he appears to have either been bound by or bound himself by, depending on how you want to phrase it. Um, prior then, to the crucifixion, those those rules are lifted post-crucifixion. And then, and then 
you know, Satan tells him, I will give you rule over the nations. I will give you this, this, this. Um, because he's human and God, but he rejects it openly. He says, yeah. no, I I will worship none but the Father. Which has got to be kind of funny. Like, I'm not sure what Satan's motivation was at that point, but... Uh... Sorry, audience, we're just going to devolve back into Christ posting again. Uh, oh, I can tell you what his motivation was. <laughs> no, I mean, I know what his motivation... I mean, what was he thinking? I mean, because, like, he knows he's talking to the Son of God, so he's going to try and bribe God with what God already has. I mean, just the, the nerve of this guy. It just... I don't know, man. Well, What's wouldn't that be the ultimate, like... Re- I don't know if you say reward or what, but, like, being able to have... God's child to defect to your side that that like that beats converting any human or anything like that at all. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's the it's the destruction of what Timothy Alberino calls the dragon slayer prophecy. This man is literally sent to destroy the dragon, to slay the dragon, and you have the opportunity to tempt him to destroy him, to give him the worship of the fucking nations. And he says, no, no, I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) No, I worship the father. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's, I mean, honestly, I don't see how you can read through the, the new Testament and not just be totally in awe of, uh, of how great it is. Even if you don't believe that it's literally true. I mean, as a work of, as a legend, as a story, it beats to hell any other mythology that exists, in my opinion. As it, it is the ultimate fairy story. Yeah, I really told is. Johnny on the phone today, it is the ultimate fairy story. That's why Tolkien calls it what it is. <laughs> J.R. Yeah. Tolkien literally calls the gospel the ultimate fairy story for a reason. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's, it's pretty hard to... Uh, Pretty hard to deny the level of base that you get with um, with any of the inklings, but Tolkien is definitely definitely one of the top ones. Uh, right. Uh, How many yeah. books were there so anyway, yeah, in the uh, original we'll be, uh, Bible? We'll be here on the Godcast next week. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I was about to ask. Um, I forget. I forget how many books exactly there, there were. I know. Um, what was it? It was like in the thou- I think it was in the thousands for like how many books there were before the Council of Nicaea, I believe, mm-hmm. where where yeah. we get the modern day Bible. How, how many books were in that? Was it in the thousands? And it's not just it's not just that because uh, Luther tossed out a ton more because uh, the Catholics mm-hmm. and I believe the Orthodox also have more books than we do. Like they have Wisdom of Solomon, they have. Uh, there are um, several extra books of Daniel of. Which uh, Esther, several books. Yeah. What's your opinion on the book of Esther? Um, I mean, I know how, I know how Mike Enoch feels about um, biblical stuff, uh, so I take his takes with a grain of salt. But rereading it, I can't help but get the feeling that he's probably got something with his critique of the book of Esther. Eh, eh look. Uh, <sighs> all right. For Reinhardt... 
You got to start with here's the thing if you're doing a mic impression. Uh, okay, fine. Here's the thing. <laughs> the Septuagint is far more accurate than anything that Mike wants to say is bullshit. The Septuagint is wonderful. I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. I believe mm-hmm. Scripture as we have it is inerrant. I really do. Um, so whatever we have, but, but. Well, we I, have, I think his problem was more with like we his have. interpretation. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I, I shouldn't interrupt you. Go ahead. What we do have is not meant to be the only thing. I think that we, what we have is a telescopic view of history, of Christ, everything. It's all telescopic. And there are things outside of that view that we can view as as important. We can view as historical, that's fine. Um, all of this. So that's that's my view, personally. Yeah. But that's it. I just, I still can't get over the fact that... Jack, tell me at least you read the Bible. All right, I know you don't have to read read that. I I only learned enough to be able to read that. Okay, well, that's good. Because I am a good, confirmed Catholic, and I didn't do nothing. Well, I mean, we all know Catholics don't actually read their Bibles. Shut up, you're not supposed to say that part out loud. (laughs) Damn it. I'm Gave just saying that because I'm a filthy, dirty, non-denominational, which means that I go to a Baptist church with a cool website. So, uh... God damn, you, you and me are the same person. <laughs> <laughs> so I got I to gotta poke at the uh, the Gatholics at least once every show. It's it's part of uh, part of Protestant belief. Become Gatholic. Gatholic. No, you Catholics are pretty cool. I just yeah. wish that you'd string the Pope up already, to be honest. You know, no, after if, due if, process. You know. I was gonna say, if if we were in my Minecraft server right now, I would. No, I'm not. Not even know, in Minecraft. Legally, like literally and unironically, he needs to hang with with due process. You know. Well, like, no, he needs to burn at the stake. Oh, that, that would that be is better. More yeah, fitting. no. Well, but don't they? But that would like mean he would like share like the same fate as like. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that would work. Yeah, yeah, that would work. I mean, we we could use napalm if that makes you feel better. No, um, okay, it was updating it for modern times. That yeah, that, that suits my non-denominational soul, you know. Modern but, problems yeah, you have, require you have modern Rock solutions. Instead of Gregorian chants, you have napalm instead of being burned at the stake. Yeah, it works. All it takes is some styrofoam. I, I'm not getting into that. Never mind. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Um, Real Fed posting hours. Who up? Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to, since we're on the Christ posting thing, and since there's no point in us not doing it, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, my one of my favorite monarchs, uh, King Louis the Ninth, and I want to talk about just how incredibly based this guy is. And I'll just read some of this stuff here, and I want you guys to give me some visual rela- visceral reacts if if we have some time. Nice. I'm not sure when Reinhardt needs to go. No, please. All right, go for it. So yeah, we're, Louis the we're about of France, 50 minutes in to yeah, the second right, hour, well, so we got, we got time. So Louis IX of France, born uh, early 1214, died in 1270. He's 
known as Saint Louis or Louis the Saint. He's the only king of France to be canonized in the Catholic Church. Um, and he ruled France for uh, the uh, from 1226 until his death in 1270. So he had a good, uh, you know, 40, what is that, 44-year reign. So that's pretty awesome. Um, he is known as the ideal Christian ruler. Um, contemporaries occasionally call him the monk king. Um, he led a couple of um, led a couple of uh, crusades uh, himself, and he was uh, known as um, having presided over this this golden age of the Kingdom of France, where it reached an economic and political peak. Um, not just because of wealth, but also because they did really well in um, in military strength and. Um, he really put through a lot of reforms that helped the uh, you know, really replace uh, put rule of law in over the, the kingdom of France. So, um, but one thing that he's known for in our circles is, um, well, let's just say that he had a difficult relationship with a small minority of people that were not Christians that lived in France at the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, it didn't go so well for them when they when they crossed him. Um, so let's go into that because that'll probably be of more interest than some of this other stuff. So um, basically, there's a he um, he managed to get his hands on and read a Talmud, and uh, he did not like what he read. <laughs> let's put it that way. Basically, um, there's a lot of stuff in the Talmud. It's, it's incredibly boring work. It's like 10,000 pages of text, and most of it is about our, uh, rabbis arguing over stupid shit. Um, but there are several passages in there that uh, discuss Christians and Christianity, and they do not mention Christians favorably. They say that um, uh, that Christ was born... Um, of uh, they say that Christ's mother, uh, the Virgin Mary, was a whore. That he is half Roman. Um, that he's a sorcerer and commanded demons. Um, and that he is right, now they... boiling alive in uh in shit uh in the deepest pit of hell. Uh, they for... always try and say that uh, yeah for blasphemy that he committed demons because legion. Well, he, he BTFO'd was... them His in mass. Like <laughs> they keep putting this. I was literally in Bible study the other day, and uh, we were reading through Matthew chapter, I think it's 13, where they make that same argument that he commands demons in the name of demons. And Jesus BTFOs them saying, you know, a house divided itself cannot stand. Why, if I'm, oh, if I'm literally the devil, why would I cast out demons, right? Right. Um, well, uh, literally look look at the, the scriptures where the... Uh, God, look at where the devil offers him everything he offers him rule over the nations he offers him literally everything the rule over all mankind and he rejects it so really you're <laughs> you're gonna tell me that he's, yeah well i mean what, it's jewish it's... or Bro, it's just he's another Jewish trick, bro. 
dead kike on a stick. Oh, God, I said the K word. Oh, God. Oh, that's oh, it. God. Yep. Nope. No nope. more second hour on we're YouTube. We're going off YouTube. Yeah, yep. Well, nope. uh, I feel like we're far enough FBI, in. FBI, open we're, up. We're... Dude, why is no, there this that's... weird van outside my <laughs> that's, house? That's my front door right now. <laughs> Um, all right, so let me so let me read you some of this stuff. So King Louis the Ninth took very seriously his mission as a lieutenant of God on Earth, with which he had been invested when he was crowned in Reims. To fulfill this duty, he conducted not one but two separate crusades. They contributed to, to his prestige, even though they both didn't go very well, unfortunately. Um, everything he did was for what he saw of as the glory of God and the good of his people. He protected the poor. Was never heard to speak ill of anyone. He excelled in penance, leaving a hair shirt and scourge, which he used in a private practice. Um, this was a common thing in medieval times. Uh, they would wear a hair shirt, which is very itchy and uncomfortable, underneath their royal robes. And uh, sometimes they would whip themselves with a scourge to uh, remind themselves of their humility before Christ. Um, you know, it, 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 I've heard some people say, you know, that this is sort of a backward practice for Christians. But the point of it was that you had these people that lived in incredible luxury and they needed some physical way of reminding them themselves through their body that um, that they were not important, even though they were covered in gold and had all this power and, and all these luxuries. Right. So it was, you know, not to take the Ted pill or anything, but it was a way to <laughs> it was a way to um, mitigate some of the consequences of uh, of a built up civilization that has all these luxuries that can blind people uh, to what's really important. Uncle Ted so anyway, did nothing wrong. Yeah, no, he did, definitely didn't. Um, but, uh, you know, if you have to live in a society, you have to have some of these ways to cope. Um, and the Middle Ages um the medieval period i should say was uh some of the if finest existed i was about to say it too well no i i actually no no i'm i'm gonna go ahead and just cut you off no the medieval period was the greatest period in european history medieval mm. europe was literally the like from like 800 to 1400 was the golden age of white europe even though there were bad things that happened there. I know there was the plague and there were wars and stuff. Go listen to John so, Levi. Socially, socially speaking, it was paradise for white Europeans. No, you're not going to take this away from me. It happened, and it can happen again. We need, uh, <laughs> we need you know, the long live time Christendom. Uh, I wish it did. <sighs> all right, all right. Anyway. All right. So anyway, right, in the Reinhardt, myth of King of Louis IX, because apparently he never lived, uh, um, he... Uh, he uh, blah blah blah. He was he was good to the poor. He fed um, he, he fed orphans and and uh, and beggars uh, from his own table. Um, he set up uh, all of these like hospitals and poor houses, uh, including the house of the Files Dieu for reformed prostitutes. So I guess that makes him a simp. Uh, but you know whatever. Uh, he also set up a hospital for blind men. So this guy was, I mean, basically he's like a, like a national socialist monarch. Like he's, he's doing good things for his people. Uh, and he's BTFOing the, uh, the Turk roaches, which is awesome. Um, but basically in 1230, uh, the king forbids all forms of usury defined at the time as the taking of interest and therefore covering most banking activities. Um, 
and this is of course a problem for the people that are running the banks at this time, which oh are god, the people that are running the banks at any time in human history. Um, when the original borrowers from Jewish and Lombard lenders could not be found, Louis extracted from those lenders a contribution towards the crusade which Pope Gregory was trying to launch. So basically, mm. he uh, he's basically attempting – in the Bible, it says that a usurer uh, has to pay back – I think it's, it's either three or seven times uh, what they charged the person they lent the money to in restitution. So basically he not only forbade usury going forward, he tried to go back and like get these bankers to pay up all of the fees that they had unjustly charged. And when he couldn't find the people that, that they should give all that money back to, he just, he just took all of the, he just find them the, that amount. And he put it towards this crusade that the Pope was trying to launch, um, which was amazing. Um, and in the process of doing this, uh, Louis ends up getting his hands on and reading a uh, copy of the Talmud uh, at the urging of Pope Gregory the Ninth, um, and he ends up calling the Disputation of Paris, which basically is where Louis calls in some rabbis to explain to him why they have a book that they supposedly teach their religious, uh, you know, their, their religious text. That says that Jesus is burning in liquid shit for all of eternity. And when and, they can't... And cum, depending on the translation. Yeah, mm-hmm. I uh, I don't know about the cum claim. I've read uh, Christ in the Talmud, uh, which is a good, like, it's a very good breakdown of this. I think that is actually a separate person. Um, but I, definitely the, 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 um, the Jesus that's burning in liquid shit is definitely supposed to be christ so i i'm not sure about that other claim but at the very least they have that one uh it's possibly both but who knows anyway um because they try and leave it ambiguous even in the text itself so they always have an out but they're not able to adequately explain this to louis so louis who by the way also has the famous quote the only way to deal with a blasphemer is to drive your sword through his bowels as far as it will go, because this guy apparently had zero chill. Uh, <laughs> he orders in 1243 the burning in Paris of 12,000 manuscript copies of the Talmud and other Jewish books, uh, which is just amazing. So this guy literally publicly does a book burning of the Talmud. Um, so I don't know how, like, <laughs> literally there's a thousand years, <laughs> almost exactly, because it happens at 1243, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, what, what is that, um, what is that, uh, f- a five, uh, so that would be, so 700, 700 years, almost exactly, uh, to the next great based European leader who also burned uh, Jewish lies. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, uh, but it's pretty. It's pretty based. I love this guy. Um, he's uh, one of my favorite uh, medieval figures, uh, and I've got a I've got a biography of his that I'm working through. So, pretty interested in uh, seeing how that'll go. Maybe I'll tell you more about that later, Jack. But. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, for that 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 is for another episode because yeah, we I are think we got way past this point. Yeah, yeah, we're we're past the second hour. Um, 
So if anyone's got any shilling to do, go ahead and do it. No, I think uh, think that does it. I think it's just the two of us left. I think everybody else has got tired of our autism and uh, they decided to get out of here. <sighs> they can't handle the spectrum, man. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is a pretty good episode. No, uh, it's fantastic. We actually I, got a I definitely two hours. Like, <laughs> I, I definitely feel like whatever whatever it is that um, you know that some of like the the paranormies and and some of these other podcasts have we need to figure out how they uh how they're able to do it because i feel like we're all over the place it's probably my fault to be honest yeah it, it's a it's a practice makes perfect sort of thing yeah i'm still pretty new to it so we'll see but hopefully you uh whoever listens to this will enjoy it and uh you know maybe some interesting ideas uh maybe we'll get a uh, like a very like harsh youtube comment uh telling magnus to shut up or something that'll be fun yeah, I mean, hey, go into the comments. Criticize the shit out of me because I don't know what I'm doing wrong unless you tell me. Yeah. No, definitely please give us like lots of lots of autistic comments uh, and demands for, for show topics. Uh, we, don't have, um, we don't have a paywall up yet, so uh, we can't have contempt for the audience yet. Only after we start taking your money can we, can we be contemptuous and dismissive. Yeah, yeah the, the, this is all free content, so you really, you really can't complain that much there, Goy. I think it's the other way around. While, while it's free, you can complain all you want. But if once you pay, you can't complain. I mean, to, yeah, well, if you if you pay for it, you, you have to have the top-tier content. Yeah. But anyways, so this concludes the third episode of Ascending the Spectrum. I am Jack, joined by the last remaining co-hosts, Magnus and Reinhardt. And uh, we'll see y'all later. The Musica de Harry Fry. Fräulein got potential, we could be a family Better in the crowd at a right wing rally No tats classy, body like an athlete From the way she acted, I knew she won the fascist No hips to faggot, she won the fascist From the way she acted, I knew she won the fascist Not a weak faggot, she won the fascist From the way she acted, I knew she won the fascist Rolling through the right, slow, gas in the kites, yo, Lebens home for whites, put uh-huh. kebabs on spikes, show. fresh up out the beer hall, jump to the top, top. here to take out the trash, make the crime rate drop. drop, moved up the ranks, give the Jew long shanks, for an all white nation, free of hook nose banks, I go round, like the Stukaflieger, I'm from Austria, home of the original leader, they fucking with my race, race. digging mass graves, race. empty up the MG, shoot him in the face, face. living life fast, iron cross, Hugo Boss suit, Standing in the vents, do the Roman salute got potential, we could be a family Better in the crowd at a right wing rally No tats classy, body like an athlete From the way she acted, I knew she won the fascist No hits to faggot, she won the fascist From the way she acted, I knew she won the fascist Not a weak faggot, she won the fascist From the way she acted, I knew she won the fascist
Back on the scene, crispy and clean. Swastika logo, make shit live stream. Round up all the kites, bags, trannies, pedophiles. I do it 40 style, I let the bodies pile. They don't wanna leave, they won't be needing a casket. Call me white genocide, I change demographics. No more degenerates, Marxists and feminists. Hear my goose step, strike fear in my enemies. I love kicking doors in For show track comics like a pro All the hot girls know when the bodies hit the flow I adore him, I adore him, I adore him Boy, I got potential, we could be a family Met her in the crowd at a right-wing rally No tats classy, body like an athlete From the way she acted, I knew she won the fascist No hits the faggot, she won the fascist From the way she acted, I knew she won the fascist Not a weak faggot, she won the fascist From the way she acted Yes. Yeah.